Well, good morning again, and welcome. Glad that you're here. <clears throat> I know it's hard to believe we never rehearsed that. <laughs> I know, yeah. Welcome to COVID world, where uh, we don't, Kathy just had no, there's no opportunity. We're not all together, so we just thought we'd do something fun and different and special, I hope. I hope. Uh, I want to welcome the Aldis with us. Um, they're here. Uh, we're so glad you guys are in town. And Hannah Shoup is here as well, so so thrilled. And I know not near as thrilled as the Shoups are. So we're, we're glad you guys are, are with us this morning. If you're watching online, welcome again. Uh, I'd like for you to take your Bibles, everyone, and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you're joining us for the first time today, welcome to Fullness. Glad that you're here, or if you haven't been here in the last, through the Advent series. And we've been looking, it's kind of different, we've been looking at the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, and again, I'll try not to preach all five sermons that I've done so far. <laughs> it's a little hard for me. I'm a little tempted to go back and review everything, and I'm going to. Uh, review a little bit, but um, in the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew, remember each genealogy is different. Each gospel is different. The gospel of Matthew, I believe, is written to those who are Jewish trying to um, argue or not convince, but just to present the case that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one. And so Matthew's genealogy goes back and starts with Jesus, and then backs up to David and Abraham, uh, proving that Jesus is Jewish by birth. Uh, if you look at Mark, again, Mark has no genealogy. Mark is a gospel of action. He just jumps right into it. Um, Mark is probably written to Romans. Romans were, a, they didn't really care about genealogies. They cared more about the act, the, the, the moving forward. Um, Luke is written to more of a Gentile audience, so if you look over in Luke, he, um, he, he, he backs up from Jesus to Adam to say Jesus is a man, Jesus is one of all of us. John, on the other hand, again, uh, starts simply with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. His, his reason for writing is to, to show that Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. So they have all their different purposes. So we're looking at Matthew's genealogy. And in Matthew's genealogy, there are five different women that are mentioned. And uh, the first is Tamar, whose story we looked at uh, early on. And Tamar, I think her story shows us that God will work in the worst circumstances to accomplish his purpose He's got his purposes. He's carrying out his... You can't even believe that the Messiah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, comes from this relationship between a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Through It's just an unbelievable story that God is carrying out his purposes and to change our characters. That really, through the story, I believe we see the character of, of Judah changed as a result of what takes place. Then later on in Matthew, we see that um, the story of Rahab. Uh, this is about the only place in the Bible where Rahab is not called the prostitute or the harlot. And we saw in Rahab's story that 
Sometimes God works through unlikely people, people we wouldn't choose, people we probably wouldn't choose to carry out his work. And though we've all made messes of our lives that God is really more concerned, I believe, with our current obedience, our current faith, our current action than he is about our past failures, which should be great news for all of us. That God, we, we have a future. We don't, we're not defined simply by our past, though we may, the thought may be there. We're, we're, we have great purposes as a result of what God is doing through us, and faith and action can accomplish great destiny. Then we saw the story of Ruth, um, this Moabite woman, another outsider who is now uh, comes into faith, and we saw that through Ruth, and the relationship she had with Naomi, that God works through relationships. I, I say this over and over and over again, and I hope it pierces our hearts. And I'm, I, I know that this is such a tough time, and people are more apt to be worshiping at home than they are in church and in settings. But really, God works through relationships. It's all about relationships, relationship with him and relationship with one another. Hopefully, when we get through this pandemic, through this time, this frame that we're in, we'll, we'll come back together as a people. You know, I've been talking to various ones, pastor friends of mine, our staff, even others saying, once we get through the pandemic, you think church people will come back to church? And I'm like, I pray so. I'm praying that we don't get this disconnected thought that Christianity is just about me and God. Uh, I was talking to some of my staff and talking to my wife the other day that, you know, it would be like me saying the only thing I, I need is uh, a relationship with Kathy is, you know, to FaceTime or call her. At some point, i got to be present, right? I was talking to Hannah when she was here about how great... FaceTime is with their family, but it's not the same as being there. It's all about relationship. To be in relationship, there is a physical presence with one another, and God works through relationships. Um, Ruth didn't say to Naomi, hey, go on back, and I'll FaceTime you later. Uh, she said, well, you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. Your people will be my people. By the way, that was a couple of weeks ago, but it was a good sermon. Through, God works through the difficult and the mundane. It's not always big and exciting. It's just sometimes being there. Through hurting and powerless people, God will work to accomplish his purposes. Then last week, we looked at the incredibly challenging story of Bathsheba and Uriah's wife. And the, the truth that I wanted us to see from that is through a, a difficult circumstances. We talked a lot about sexual abuse and sexual assault and that... God sees you. God is at work in your life. And ultimately, this is the theme of the entire series, which is that God can take the ashes of your life and create beauty. Did you ever think there was so much in the genealogies that you could pull from and say, look at how God is working? These are not just names. These are people. These are stories that are examples and speak of the way God works, not only in their lives, but in our life as well. Today, just for a moment, I, I want to talk finally about the fifth woman mentioned in this genealogy, which is, who is? Mary. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, 
of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. We pick up Mary's story, as you know, really over in Luke. And in Luke 1, this angel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I, I love the Bible. I don't know. You get so caught up in the, the reading of it so many times, you don't step back and I think at times notice the language. So this angel appears to this young, probably late, like middle to late teenage girl. We don't really know for sure how old she was and says, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, in an understatement of, this is almost like a teenage understatement, isn't it? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I wonder what kind of greeting this angel's giving. Is this a good greeting? Is this a bad greeting? Is this a special greeting? What kind of greeting am I getting here? The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor... What's that? Mama, thanks, thanks. I'm a little slow. I put that way behind me. <clears throat> Only when your wife is the children's pastor can you get talked into doing that. Okay, moving on. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. I always find it fascinating, by the way, that the angels generally start with a don't be afraid. <clears throat> because... We're afraid. We're, most of us are filled with fear. As a matter of fact, I think fear is so overwhelming that I'm going to do a whole series on it. Starting uh, the first Sunday of January, talk uh, for about six, seven weeks called Overcoming Fear. Overcoming Fear. Because for many of us, we don't, our faith factor is somewhere below our fear factor, and therefore fear dictates the course of our life, not faith. And so I want to talk for about seven weeks on overcoming various fears that I think will help move us forward. Because are we not in a fearful time? I mean, really, aren't we stinking afraid of everything? Right now, we're afraid of the future. We're afraid of, you know, politicians. We're afraid of health. We're afraid of traveling. We're afraid of, you name it, we're, we're, we're pretty afraid. And I believe God has called us to not be a people of fear. I'm preaching that series now. Uh, but it just notice that the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What an incredible statement. Now, when you hear this and you hear this angel proclamation to Mary, aren't there just a million questions that you think would come to your mind? Like, the Son of the Most High? I mean, there are theological implications. There are political implications. Given the throne of his father, David, he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. He's going to be great. How am I going to raise this child how am I going to do this? Hey, I want to answer the question about whether Mary knew. I'm going to say no. Mary did not know, despite what the song says. She didn't know. So what is Mary's first question? Not 
the theological implications, not the political implications. She basically says, how? How is this going to happen? I've never been with a man. I'm a virgin. I, she understands how this process works. So I think it's kind of fascinating, not that, again, not that, the, the, that her mind is like trying to get around the, the physicality of all of this. The reality, okay, how am I going to have a child when I've never had sex with a man? Don't you, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who sees these statements that the angel brings to her that are just unbelievable statements about name Jesus, um, He's going to be great, called the son of the most high. Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. I mean, she's not saying, look, I'm just a, I'm a little girl in Nazareth. There's no way this could, what kind of child. But more like her first question is, okay, how's this going to take place? The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will be upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God for Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary, in this incredible statement of faith, says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Now, we've talked about this passage in, in the past, but I want to remind you just of a kind of alternative reading. So the phrase, for nothing is impossible with God, can in some ways be read like this, for no word from God is without power. When God says it, it's possible. Every word from God is exploding with power. And Mary's response when she says, may it be to me as you have said, is really this, be it unto me according to your word. No word from God is without power. And Mary receives the word and says, be it unto me according to your word. How do you turn the ashes of your life into something glorious and beautiful? I would say the first way for us is, when, we've seen all these things God will do, but the first thing I think is imperative for us is to respond to his word. To respond to his word. Just like Mary, for no word from God without power, no, nothing is impossible with God. May it be to me according to your word. Let, me, let it happen. It doesn't say for sure, but in my head, when she says, be it unto me according to your word, at that moment, she conceives. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but... I believe when she see, receives God's word for what he says, it's at that moment that the power... Now, I'm, again, that's extra biblical. But in my head, there's something about receiving the word of God in faith that causes something to be birthed within us. We need to respond to God's word. Listen, you're responding to something. You're reacting to something in your life right now. 
The reason we're so stinking afraid is because the things we're listening to are making us afraid. I mean, we're receiving nothing but fear. It's bombarding us at every corner. And I, I want to say to you, believe what God says about you. You know, you can look at the words, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's ah, just a biblical statement. Or you could say, be it unto me according to your word. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says a lot about who you are. And when you look at it, if you're not careful, you see it as an ancient document that is, that is filled with just biblical, I don't know words biblical, but moral, moralistic sayings that, yeah, you know, God is off there somewhere doing something. Or you can say, be it unto me according to your word. And I believe when we receive the word of God, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. It becomes by receiving the word of God. We need to respond. If you want to see your life dramatically changed, respond to God's word. Don't just read it. Don't just intellectualize it. Receive it. Mary had to receive the child, right? And, and we need to respond to the word of God. One of the reasons I believe that we are all Many of us, not all, but many of us are locked into patterns of behavior, are locked into ways of doing things, are locked into bad um, outcomes is because in our head we've received what someone else has said about us rather than what God has said about us. We're, res we're responding to the world's accusations. I, I could go on I, for a long time with this. I hope that it's hitting you like it hit me that this virgin girl in the middle of Nazareth, when an angel appeared and says, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to not have slept with a man and you're going to be the mother of God. You're going to, he's going to have the David's throne. And she's saying how and nothing is impossible. No word from God without power. All right. I got nothing, but be it unto me according to your word. How much more? is God, as we are his children, wanting to pour out on us right now, if we will but receive and respond to God's word. You want to change your life? Respond to the word of God. Mary gets up. It says almost immediately. It seems that immediately. She leaves Nazareth. She goes to her cousin's house. Her cousin is Elizabeth. You know, the whole story with John the Baptist. She's already like, I don't know, six months pregnant. She's already well on her way. Mary walks in. And look what Elizabeth says to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And this is what she says to Mary. There's a lot of statements, by the way, in here I'd love to just preach about. But look what she says to Mary. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. In Elizabeth's greeting, she's saying to Mary, blessed are you because you believe that what God said is going to be accomplished. 
if you don't hear anything else I say today, this would change your life if you'll respond to the word of God in faith. It will change the way you think about you. It'll change the way you think about the world and the people around you if you will respond to the word of God. Now, you may say, look, I haven't had an angel visit me lately. Well, that's just because I haven't been to your house. But, um, but what I'm trying to say, just kidding, just seeing if you're with me still. Listen, God has given you his word. He's given, even if you say, I don't hear words from God. Like God speaking to me in these audible things or in dreams or in any. Listen, God says a lot about us in his word. He says about a lot about who he is. He says a lot about the people of God. He, there's, read God's word and receive in faith and, and it'll change you. Let it permeate your life. Teach it to your children. Teach it to your spouse. Read it to one another. I'm going to move on, but let me say this real quick. Some of you are struggling with parenting right now. Some of you are struggling with, oh, my lands, these kids, God, why? I wanted kids, but not these. <laughs> I mean, I, I know. Not that I've ever said that. But the greatest gift you can teach your children is the word of God. And not just to teach it to them, but to teach them how to respond to it. To hear it, to receive it, and to respond to it. It'll change you if you teach your children how to do that, by the way. Let me move on. i got two more real quick points. The second point is this. Rejoice in his grace. Mary hears these words from Elizabeth, and then she breaks out in song. What's called the Magnificat. Because in Latin, it magnifies, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in this song, and I'm not going to take it apart verse by verse, but I encourage you to do it. it, it it's an incredible passage. It's an incredible song. And, and in this song, there are no less than at least 15 biblical allusions um, that she either quotes from Hannah and the Old Testament and you think, oh, this girl, this simple girl from Nazareth, um, how well trained. This song itself indicates to you that this girl was not an illiterate peasant girl, that somehow she has the word of God within her. And the first thing she does, the first half of the song, I'll just say, is a, is a song of joy. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. My soul glorifies the Lord. If you want to see your life changed, respond to God's word and rejoice in the grace that he has given you. Mary is glorying in God. 
Mary is also a teenage mother who's engaged but not married and never had sex with a guy. So her story, and yet in the middle of that, she says, my, my soul glorifies the Lord. And she goes on and says, and rejoices in God my Savior. Recon this is an incredible recognition, if you want to think about it, that the child she's going to bear, coming from God, is also going to be the one who say, is the Savior. Now, I don't know that she knows all the implications. I know she doesn't. Again, I don't think Mary knew yet all the implications. But she does know that she needs a Savior, as we all do. And as a result, she glorifies God and says, listen, I'm just a humble servant. And in the future, all generations will call me blessed. Now, she's not bragging. She's not like stating, oh, look at me. All the nations are going to call me blessed from here on out. This is not Mariology. This is not like the exaltation of Mary. This is more the exaltation of what God is doing in a humble girl who is willing to say yes. And she receives this grace, this mercy. And she says his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. It's a recognition that this grace and mercy is going to be available to everybody for all time. If they'll but receive. She rejoices in his grace. And then she recognizes his power. She recognizes his power. Here's the second part of this song. Second half, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. E. Stanley Jones, the famous Methodist preacher and scholar, he said this about Mary's song, this song, this part in particular, this half. He called it the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. What she's saying here is so dramatic, not just beautiful, but powerful. William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, he instructed missionaries going to India not to read aloud the Magnificat, not to read aloud Mary's song, because it would incite riots, he said, in the streets. Do we ever read this song and say, wow, that could cause a riot? I mean, really, we don't see it in that light. But if we really understand that the power of God is going to bring down the powerful and exalt the humble. That God's, and, and, and not, in, not in a way that's societal, so to speak, but more like this. Those who are proud, God resists. Those that are humble and will receive God at his word. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. To receive the word of God, he will he will exalt. Here's what I believe Mary says to us today. Whoever you are, wherever you are, receive God's word. 
Receive God's word. Walk in his grace. Let his power be released in your life. And again, he can take the ashes of your marriage, the ashes of your parenting, the ashes of your job, the ashes of your thought processes. He can take the ashes of your life, your past, present, and make it something glorious in the future for his glory to change the world. This little girl from Nazareth became an instrument of the power of God to change the world. I believe God can do the same. He's still in that process today, if we will but receive. Lord, I thank you for your word and your grace, for your power that is at work within every one of us. Lord, we say let your life, let your light, let your power be released within us. Lord, today, I pray for every person who's here at Fullness and those who are watching online, and I say, Lord, speak your word. May we respond to your word by saying, be it unto us, Lord, according to your word, because nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Lord, during these days of Christmas where we celebrate your coming, your advent, your birth, the fact and truth that you are the light of the world, may light shine out of darkness just as you spoke it into existence. May it be spoken into our hearts and lives and may we receive it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.